You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up and welcome to an NBA playoff, Unreasonable Odds. I'm Julian Edlow, your host here at DraftKings, and we're going to bring in Jonathan Von Tobel, who's a great NBA handicapper, over at VEASAN this week. Uh, JVT and I are going to break down the full NBA playoff board, the game ones, the series lines, even look ahead a little bit to the future and hopefully provide you guys with some winners here in the NBA postseason. All right, welcome into an NBA playoffs edition of the Unreasonable Odds podcast. It is Thursday, April 13th, around one o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast as we record this. Uh, so we still have the eight seed play-in games to go on Friday night, um, and then everything gets underway over the over the weekend with Game Ones on Saturday and Sunday. I'm your host Julian Edlow from DraftKings. For the occasion, we bring on NBA handicapper from our good friends over at Veasan, Jonathan Von Tobel, JVT. How we doing, man? I'm good, man. You know, this is an exciting time. Uh, the NBA postseason, the grind of the regular season finally over. So uh, what's the old football phrase? That's why you lift all the weights. That's why you grind through all of those injury reports uh, to get to this moment. So I'm excited. Yes, no more load management, no right. more scratches 30 minutes before tip. Um, the tedious ins and outs of what the NBA regular season has become, that's over. We can focus on... Full-strength teams, bearing any injuries, going head-to-head and what we think the outcome is going to be. We're going to rip through. This is going to be a quick podcast, about 20, 25 minutes um, tops, and we are going to rip through every series. But before we go, because we are recording on Thursday, just do a minute on each of the Friday games, who we think is going to come out of these eight seeds. Underdogs, JVT, 4-0 straight up, 3-1 and against the spread so far in these play-in games. I think that trend may buck on Friday night. I think that some of these, now all the money, if we're looking at the splits from DK Sportsbook, which you can find at vcin.com, everybody loves this fun OKC Thunder team, which I I do too, but the Thunder coming off that great performance, the Bulls coming off that fourth quarter comeback, but they're going to, Miami hasn't even traveled. They're staying in the same, they've been in Miami all along, they've been off since Tuesday, they're coming off an awful game. I tend to think Jimmy Butler and the Heat bounce back against the Bulls team that they are 0-3 against this season. And in the Minnesota game, um, I, I think Minnesota is going to play pretty pretty well at home. Going back to the Miami one, Chicago probably shouldn't have even won that game. Credit to their comeback, but the 18 of 36 free throws, that's kind of fluky in my mind. So I'm kind of thinking home teams on Friday night. I haven't played anything yet. I don't love five, five and a halfs, but we'll see. I'm leaning home teams. Your thoughts there? Uh, I so my stronger opinion would be with the Eastern Conference one, and, and actually I, I I looked at Chicago, and I'm going to wait to see if it gets to six and play Chicago. I, I think one of the things for Miami, they've been super overvalued all year long. They they are the worst ATS team in in the NBA, thirty fifty one and two now after losing out right to they the Atlanta Hawks. It, it, yeah, the market's just been really high on them, and if you look at their revamped starting lineup, where you have some pretty weak defenders in that lineup now, right? You've got Tyler Hero, you've got Max Struess, you've got a bunch of guys that opponents can pick on the Hawks did that and I think the Bulls are going to do that too with some elite you know ISO scorers that they have in their own right in Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan so uh, I'll see if it gets to six the market seems to really like this heat team I would think that that's going to get there but I think that's a way to look and I'm, I'm also interested in this thing over the total I know it's super low and I know it's a faux game seven 
But as I mentioned, this is a weaker defensive team. They're 22nd in defensive rating since February 13th when they rejigger their starting lineup. I, I think this might be a, a little bit of bottom down. We saw it with Chicago and Toronto, right? That thing bottomed out at 212, ended up going over that really low total because of the end there. I, I think that you might get another instance tear too. So I'm interested to see where the total ends up, but stronger side lean there towards Chicago. If I get six, I'm in. All right, on to the real stuff. Um, yes. Saturday, we have the, the the board set. Starts off 1 p.m. Um, Brooklyn, six seed at Philly. Three seed spread as we record, eight and a half. Total, 215. Sixers, minus 350 on the money line. I'm giving, well, I played a series play on this one. I, I laid two and a half games with the Sixers when it was minus 120. Price is obviously juiced up. I think up to like minus 150 is where I'd be comfortable with this. This time of year, I'll lay more juice than I would normally be willing to because it's not a, you know, a single game play. I'm pretty confident that over the course of five games here, Philly will only have one slip up, one of those two games in Brooklyn, and the sweep is even alive here. I just think you look at this Brooklyn team after the trades. Yeah, they have nice pieces, but they haven't been that great overall. They just kind of backed into the playoffs and they have this seeding thanks to that like 20 and two run that Kevin Durant took them on early in the year. Whereas Philly, it's Embiid's year for MVP. This is a nice little warm up to get them ready for a Celtics series in the second round where they finally want to kind of prove themselves against the big brother. Even though the Celtics are the younger team, they just keep beating them in these series and regular season matchups. I think this is Philly comes out and Bead plays really well. They flex. They they win this probably four to one. I'll be staying away from you know eight and a halfs probably throughout this yeah. series on either side. No, I, so you and I are kind of lock and step here. I just approached it a different way. I think playing this uh, total games under five and a half at about a minus 155, 160 price is a good way to go because it gives you that leeway, right? Where obviously I think that Philadelphia is going to end this relatively quickly. The one thing that gives me a little pause in playing Philly outright in like four is Brooklyn does shoot the ball a lot. Over 40% of their attempts come from three-point range. They do have quite a bit of few shooters on this roster. You could foresee a scenario in like one of these games, especially back in Brooklyn, they just get really hot. They light them up. They win a game and it extends out to five. Uh, but I, I think ultimately your overall points are, are really accurate. And the other part too is it's just you. Like, who's guarding Joel Embiid? Nick Claxton yeah. gives up 65 pounds to that guy. Daron Sharp gives up 25 pounds. And by the way, I think it's like three, four inches shorter than him. It, it's just a really bad matchup for him. So I would agree with all your points. And I think too, instead of attacking it game to game, like those eight and a half spreads and whatever we're going to see back in Brooklyn, which should translate to about Philly minus two, two and a half. I think looking at Embiid over his assists throughout the series is going to be pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. If you go back and watch on February 11th, they doubled him a lot because they didn't really have a physical yeah. matchup for him. That led to kickouts. That led to posts and reposts to shooters. I think Embiid, the first game, it's at three and a half of the plus price to the over. I'd be very interested to see if he starts to go over those with regularity because he's going to be seeing a lot of double teams. That means that means three guys guarding four, and they've got a lot of elite offensive players around him. I will say I have Philly on the money line in game one, linking back to a money line parlay with the Lakers mm -hmm. on Tuesday night that did ultimately get there for me. Um, I know we talked about that one on Tuesday. A pretty similar series here for me. I, I also have some Celtics money line on Saturday afternoon in parlays. I don't think they're going to drop this game at home to the Hawks. They match up so well with them. They have bigger physical guards to cover Trey Young that played defense. Their strength is on the wing with Tatum and Brown where the Hawks don't have as much firepower on either end of the ball. And I think a guy like Capella, who pulls down whatever it was, 21 boards in 25 minutes in that play-in game, 
You have a Rob Williams to get in there and be an athlete with him. You have an Al Horford to be a veteran presence against him. I just think the Hawks match up terribly with a very talented Celtics team. So same thing for me. Game one, money line parlays. And I it opened minus two and a half, minus 120 on the series price. I laid it with the Celtics. And I'm again, I'm good laying like some pretty good juice here. Minus 150, minus 160 if you need to, if we're down to that point on the Celtics to get this done in five or less. I think this is maybe Atlanta pulls one out at home and then Boston comes home and closes that out in a game five. Yeah, so I, I don't really have a strong opinion and where I'm leaning, we'll, we'll disagree a little bit because one of the things that I was looking at was potentially playing it over five and a half at a, at a plus price in terms okay. of the total games being played. It, what I'm really interested in, Julian, is I feel like there's a couple of things. The first of which is we're starting to really slowly see Quinn Snyder's fingerprints on this team, right? Yeah. Especially from an offensive execution standpoint. It was really impressive what they were doing uh, with Trey Young in that game against Miami, of running stuff to allow him to get to his spots on the floor against the Miami team that he had nothing against in the postseason last year, didn't have much against them in the regular season. But Snyder's starting to unlock little things. And it's just the potential of what Atlanta can be, right? That kind of tempts me because they do have a ton of talent on this roster and from a physical standpoint at least they do have guys that can match up with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to where if you're at least getting the high end of what the Hawks can do I think they can at least steal a couple of games and extend the series out I don't think they're really a danger to win this series but Mm -hmm. to force this to about six games maybe even like a plus two and a half games you can get that at a small plus price as well to look at with Atlanta would be the way to go Uh, again I didn't have anything strong and I haven't bet anything in this series and I'm in the middle of really doing a lot of research and going back and rewatching their most recent matchup. And that's just kind of where I'm at right now. And, and I'll say this too. I was high on Atlanta coming into the year. So I was really disappointed when they didn't win the Southeast and even more disappointed when they finally put it all together in game 83. I just think the potential is higher and Snyder might be able to unlock a little bit of that in a more competitive series than the market indicates. All right. Uh, we're going to move to another Eastern Conference one on Saturday. Knicks and Cavs, a 4-5 matchup. Good season for the Knicks. Hot out of the break, but tough news on Randall, who's still not taking contact in practice. We'll see what he looks like early in this series. Cavs, good story this year. Really good at home. I think <clears throat> the Cavs have an advantage here inside. I think that's going to be talked about with Mobley and Allen. They have a size advantage. What's not getting talked about as much as I would like Brunson getting a ton of respect that he deserves quickly. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he is or isn't the sixth man getting a ton of respect that he deserves in the backcourt. The Cavs have a much better backcourt, more lethal backcourt with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I like the the backcourt advantage that the Cavs have. So for me, with Randall being dinged up early, I like Cleveland to get started strong in this series. So rather than take a minus 200 favorite on the series, I played the double result, Cavs to win game one and Cavs to win the series, which was minus 115 at the time. I think up to like minus 125, 130, you're probably good there. It just buys the series price down if you like the Cavs on something that they absolutely need to do if they're going to win the series is take advantage early when Randall's hurt. Uh, So that's how I'm playing it if you like Cleveland. If you like New York, I, I won't give too much pushback. I'd probably play them plus some games, but your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I think that's it. And look, the, at the end of the day, I don't think you can feel comfortable playing this series, especially if you're leaning into the New York side, unless you know what's going on with Julius Randle. And that's yeah. kind of where I found myself. Like, if all things were equal and Randle was healthy, 
I'd be much more exuberant to go take one and a half and lay 130 in terms of games with the New York Knicks, right? Or or put a small play on them to win this series because there are some advantages that the Knicks have here. Like they are, you mentioned the backcourt advantage for Cleveland. The Knicks are a much deeper team. They have six guys that average over 10 points. They've got three guys that average over 19 points per game in yeah. this in this series, right? Like there's a lot of high end talent here. Jalen Brunson. He's gonna hunt. He's gonna hunt the, the excuse me, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland defensively. He's going to be able to go after them and win those one-on-one matchups. Heck, Brunson did it to him in the playoffs last year, right? To Donovan Mitchell when they played Utah and Dallas in that series. So I think they can have a lot of success there. And the interesting part too is if you go back and watch their game in New York, Julius Randle had a great first half, and so the Cavs had to switch it up. They had to put Jared Allen on him. They put Evan Mobley on their big. The difference is that Mitch Robinson didn't play. So you can put Mobley there on a guy like Jericho Sims, but then you're going to get crushed on the offensive glass if it's Robinson. Like there's things that work for New York, but the everything just starts at is Julius Randle going to be available and is he going to be healthy? And with that unknown, I haven't really had anything here. If he's going to be healthy and ready to go game one, 100%, you don't really know it. I think Knicks plus one and a half games at a small minus price is worth looking at. I think it's going to be a very competitive series, uh, but you're treading into some unknown waters just with Randall's health and what's going to happen. And last point I'll make on this too, Isaac Okoro is not fully healthy either. And Isaac Okoro is their best perimeter defender that is going to go take on some of the best offensive weapons opponents have. That would be Brunson in this matchup. And when Lamar Stevens is out there, he's only like a 26% three-point shooter, especially from the corners. He's not a threat. Knicks can help off of him. That's going to be a really big deal to watch too. All right, Saturday night, what I think is the most intriguing series would be Warriors at Kings. Um, You and I have talked about this one Take the jerseys off. Take away the fact that the Warriors are have won four championships over the last, whatever, eight years, half the championships, and the Kings haven't been in the playoffs since I was in, like, seventh grade or whatever it was. Right. Take those things out. We got a team that's 11-30 and 30 on the road this season, playing the first two on the road, and they're, like, nearly a minus 300 favorite <clears throat> in this series. That on its own sounds a bit ridiculous. Now, it is the Warriors. I'm curious to see if they're going to quote-unquote, flip the switch, as everyone says. They'll just flip it. Why haven't they done it? Why haven't they done it at all this year? They keep not winning on the road. So, Kings game one for me, money line. Game's essentially a pick I'm going to take the Kings game one, see how it looks. Wiggins getting worked back in for the Warriors. And then maybe if the Warriors don't look like a complete puddle and show some fight, now we're thinking about maybe a Warriors game two money line in the bounce back spot. That's how I see it. I also, the Kings are 25-15-1 to the over at home. The Warriors are one of the best over teams on the road. Their yep. defense just didn't travel. It sounds like a college football term. Like, their defense doesn't travel. It doesn't for some reason. So, 238 and a half game one. Sacramento is the spot where these games are played that you want to be looking at overs this series. That might be one for me as well. But final thoughts, if I'm playing the series here, it's it's Kings or pass. Yep. Now, you and I are in agreement, and you hit on the most important point for me. 41 road games this season. Warriors have a 119.8 defensive rating in non-garbage time. That is third worst in the NBA, only better than Houston and San Antonio. And I, I just don't know how that's going anywhere. Even if you get Andrew Wiggins back and you get your premier starting lineup, it's a plus, I think, 21.9 net rating when all five are together. It's really good. But their bench still does not have any dominant defensive pieces that are going to make up for that. And that was really where the series, and if you look at the beginning part of the series when they played in early November, like that was the big difference. Whenever that bench went out there, 
that's when the Warriors started to flounder a bit defensively. It got to the point where Steve Kerr was regularly busting out two, three zones because he couldn't feel comfortable with one-on-one matchups defensively with some of these Kings guards out there that could really work off of the dribble. So like none of that's changing. Right, Jordan Poole is not going to become an on-ball stopper. Neither is Dante DiVincenzo. Steph Curry's a fine defender, but these are guys that can get worked in some of those matchups when uh, when you go to the bench or when they have to match up with a De'Aaron Fox or anything like that. So I think ultimately it just comes down to everything you talked about, Julian, which is the probability of the Warriors winning this series, I think, is just too high. Should they be favored? Sure. But I was expecting like a minus 150 or so, not this minus 290 where it opened up and you're starting to see some market buyback. But I would agree. I think if you're looking at this again, total games over is a way to back a competitive Sun or to me Kings team in this series to push this series out to six or seven games. Uh, to also look at them just outright to win the series. I think the probability and the price is high enough that it's worth a small wager. But I think the market's just a little too high here on the Warriors. Should They should be favored, just not to this degree. All right, let's go to another one that I know you and I agree is mispriced, but I don't know what I'm going to do about it, and that's the Suns and Clippers. The Suns yeah. are massive series favorites here over the Clippers, and I'm absolutely picking them to advance if I have a postseason bracket here. Uh, but I'm not laying uh, $5 or whatever prices we're, we're talking about with them. I'm also, I, I'm not necessarily betting the Clippers here. I have some good Suns futures from the night of the Durant trade that I'm just kind of going to stick in my back pocket and root for them in this series. That said, I know that you brought up to me the other night when we spoke um, a plus games price here that I think is, a very intriguing way to to play this series, but I, I think that um, I think that ultimately the Suns' talent does does advance them here. Uh, you know, the Clippers have some some good depth, and they have Kawhi, which is going to win them some games and gives them gives them a chance. Um, but this is almost a stay away at this point for me, given the tickets I have and what the series wound up being priced. Yeah, the uh, the series bet was Clippers plus two and a half games at minus one twenty five. That's up to minus one forty now. I think that's playable up to minus one fifty if you haven't gotten in on it yet. But I, I think, look, you hit it on the head, which is this was I think a mispriced matchup from the beginning. And the Suns are really good, but if you're building this much, like if you're power rating them this high based off of eight games and a grand total, according to Cleaning the Glass, of 540 possessions of work for Kevin Durant. Like, that's, I think, a really small sample size. Against lesser competition, too, by the way, right? Three teams that didn't make it into the play-in, three play-in teams, and two matchups against Denver, neither of which Jokic played, and the actually Nuggets didn't really play anybody in either of the two games. So I, I think that's it's flawed, I think, to base your premise that this is an overwhelming team on those games. And the Clippers are starting to figure some things out to give them some credit. Marcus Morris is no longer part of the starting lineup. Their newly constructed starting lineup, it's Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, Nick Batum, Avica Zubac. They, those five have outscored opponents by 15.5 points per 100 possessions when they're on the floor together. Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook without Morris or without PG, that's a plus 8.7 net rating. Their lineups are starting to gel. They're starting to get it together. How about some of their bench lineups? Terrence Mann on the floor without Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and that group. They have a plus 5.6 net rating, and their most used bench lineup post-Paul George injury, a plus 8.8 net rating. So, like, there's there's a lot of really good things that work for the Los Angeles Clippers here, and it just goes back to the basic premise of, I think that this market is mispriced. So there's a lot of different ways that you can attack it. But essentially laying a cheap price at now minus 140 to say that the Suns are not going to win in five and not going to win in four, I think it's a really good way to attack this. That price should be much higher. The Clippers also match up physically very well. And by the way, 
they might get Paul George back at some point in this series. Right. Like that's another thing that really works in their favor. So I think all those things put together, I put a little bit on that Clippers plus two and a half. I will say also, I did put a very small bet on Clippers outright at plus 400 because, again, I think it's mispriced. But the bigger bet is plus two and a half games at that minus price. Yeah, the, just having this to go past a, a game five feels pretty safe to me. The Suns yeah. are going to have some growing pains, I would say, now playing some real competition in consecutive games uh, and still kind of feeling themselves out. All right, the only other one that we have on the board until we get these 1-8 matchups locked in, Lakers-Grizzlies. This is going to be a popular one. Lakers kind of a trendy pick to win the West or well, whatever, make a deep run. They're 10-2 and two over their last 12. They're three-and-a-half-point dogs in game one in Memphis. They're plus 125 for the series. <clears throat> I don't know about game one, and LeBron's always been somebody that, you know, can feel out game one and then make adjustments and take control of the rest of the series. I'm betting some Lakers to win the series now. I'll probably yep. add regardless after game one. I like this for the Lakers. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. Take some size off the floor for Memphis. Uh Anthony Davis and Jaron Jackson Jr. can match up and and go at it. But what the Lakers can do, like the Lakers can put LeBron or Vanderbilt or whoever on John Morant and give him some some problems with a much bigger physical defender. Um, I'm not afraid of Brooks at all offensively. He's a, a Draymond type of guy that, you know, makes an impact on the defensive end. We'll see if he can if things get ugly for the Grizzlies, if he mucks up this series in some way with a technical or who knows, but I I would let him be uh, put some focus on Bain because he's a guy that can win some games, particularly in Memphis. And I think the Lakers just have a lot of options as to how they want to play their cards here. And eventually it'll result in them figuring it out because they still are even the more talented team. And since the trade bed deadline, they've got the right pieces now kind of around the, the stars to, to make it work. So I'm taking the, the public square dog here. I do think the Lakers advance. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I'll add some numbers to what you're talking about because I, I think the hopes of the Grizzlies are on the shoulders of Jaron Jackson Jr. And he's got a foul problem, right? He averages 3.4 yeah. personal fouls per game. In three games against the Lakers, he averaged five personal fouls per game. So he's going to have some issues staying on the court. He's had it all of his, his, uh, his entire career. And how about this? The Lakers made 23 free throws every 100 shot attempts in the regular season. That was third best in the NBA. With Jackson on the floor, opponents make 21.9 free throws every 100 field goal attempts. He's a great defender, but he's got trouble not fouling. And if he's going to have that issue, and if he's not going to be on the floor, now their thinnest position becomes even thinner because you're asking Xavier Tillman, who measures at six foot eight, two forty five, or David Roddy, the squatty kid out of Colorado State, who's done a good job, but he's not going to match up down low with any of the pieces that the Lakers have. Santi Aldama as well, more of a perimeter-oriented forward. That's a really tough matchup for the Grizzlies to overcome over the course of a best of seven. So I agree with every point that you're making, especially with the way that the Lakers can defend them. Remember the Grizzlies, if you just take the teams that made it into the top six of their respective conferences, the Grizzlies are the worst half-court offense among all 12 of those teams, and they're third worst if you include the play-in teams. And that's including when John Morant's on the floor. They're very reliant on transition, something the Lakers can defend. I'm with right. you. So it, the market peaked at about plus 130. That's when I got in on the Lakers to win the series. I also think if you want to go a little alt and lay one and a half games with the Lakers at a, sol a solid plus price is a decent way to go. I don't know about the Lakers in the grand scheme of things, but I do think in this matchup, it, it works out really well for them considering the injuries that the Grizzlies have in front of them. Lakers in six feels like a good play to lay that game and a half or bet that exact outcome. Yeah. Um, all right, one eight matchups. We don't have them obviously, so just maybe some overarching quick thoughts. Like, 
I would consider, you know, the, the Bucks have been a good minus two and a half games team at time. But like, if this is Minnesota and Miami, those are decent matchups. Like Miami can, in theory, play the Bucks pretty tough. The Wolves, in theory, can play Denver tough. Um, then maybe I'd be looking at taking some plus games with with the dogs there. So it almost depends how this uh, how this shakes out yeah. for what I'm going to do. So I don't have much of an opinion on these until until we get the matchups. I think it really changes things for me. Yeah, I, so I'm very anti Miami. If you couldn't tell at the beginning, so I, I like right. the thought that Heat culture is going to come in and they're going to be a dangerous team. I wasn't really buying it because that was kind of the narrative right going into the play-in game. Like they're just a flawed team, and I think Miami is going to get rolled by Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is going to roll Chicago. I think if you're looking at a minus two and a half games in either one of the scenarios, I think that'd be a very good option for you. Uh, going to the West, I got to tell you, Julian, I'm really intrigued if the Thunder can make it out of this play-in. Because one of the biggest weaknesses for Denver is they are with the worst transition defense in the postseason right now. They are 28th in defending transition off alive of rebounds. And the Thunder love to rip and run and get down the floor. And if somehow the Thunder make it past Minnesota, I'd be really intrigued, to your point, looking at like some plus two and a half games to have them stay within this number. I think the, the, the Thunder could be like a very annoying gnat that the Nuggets would have to swat at for an entire series because they just match up really well. They have a size disadvantage, but that means they could play five out and really bother Denver defensively. I, I think it'd be a really intriguing matchup for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I'd be looking at the Thunder there. And as far as Minnesota's concerned, I, I, I think they're a solid team. I think the Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns dynamic adds some weird noise to their lineups that I don't really understand quite to this point. They're better defensively, but they're worse offensively. The cat lineups at the five are actually much better offensively. Like I just, I don't really like what I see from Minnesota overall, but I'd be very intrigued by the Oklahoma city thunder. Should they make it into the eight seed? Okay. Um, I, I don't have much of an opinion in the futures market, so I'll get yours here for, uh, to wrap us up. I would say like looking at, Looking at paths, I, I think we're going to get a Celtics Bucks Eastern Conference Final. I, I feel that way. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't see anything on the board that like jumps out to me as you have to bet this team to win the conference or win the title. What I'll say is, if I think that we have the potential to maybe get a Kings Lakers second round matchup, you're getting good plus money on either of those teams to win the West, and one of them would be in the Western Conference Final. Taking advantage of maybe a mispriced Western Conference in some way. Uh, which basically means just going against the Suns, who do likely have to go against the Nuggets in the second round. Yeah. Taking advantage of that other side of the West bracket in some way is what jumps out to me, but I don't have any hard-hitting future to play at this point in the season. Uh, what about you, JVT? No, I didn't have it. I think you generally want to play your futures like uh, already at this point. You want to have a couple in pocket. Uh, I will say this. If you want to go a little exotic, uh, if you want to go to the DraftKings menu and you look at the exact outcome, you know, Boston to beat Golden State or Golden State to beat Boston in the NBA Finals, I think are pretty intriguing. We're talking about 20 and 30 to 1. You know, if you believe that Golden State on this side of the bracket can make their run through the Western Conference, if you're a believer of the flipper of the switch, right, uh, I think that this is uh, one that – if you're looking at it, Boston, a lot of people believe, and I, I think there's some credit to it, that match up pretty well with Milwaukee, if that's our assumed Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there'd be uh, anything wrong with playing those two outcomes, 20 and 30 to 1, for that to be the NBA Finals and get a rematch of what we saw last year. All right, well, you don't need to twist my arm on the Celtics. I, I figured you'd like it. Yep, I'm loaded up <laughs> on them, sitting here. You see the Paul Pierce jersey, yep. uh, season ticket member, ready to go to some playoff games. So I'm hoping that they get through. 
All right, that is a, a quick rip through of the postseason with Jonathan Von Tobel, NBA handicapper from VSIN here on the Unreasonable Odds podcast. Um, JVT, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, we will be back as needed throughout the NBA playoffs. It's not going to be a weekly podcast. Um, it's going to be kind of every every round or so. Um, keep breaking down some games throughout the postseason. So for the Unreasonable Odds podcast, for Julian Edlow, we will be back sometime before round two to break down some more NBA. Odds and lines are subject to change. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you.